Doesn't get much better, does it? Probably none. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We're going to be looking today at Enoch, and he's a man who pleased God, the text says. And so we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, but also verse 6. Uh, That is the general principle verse, and we're going to deal with that today, Lord willing, as well. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, the text reads, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. By faith. Faith is the only way to come to God. Faith is the only way to live for God, and faith is the only way to please God. And so, we know that a person is not saved by good works or moral living or even by any religious ceremonies. But we know that true faith, then, in an individual produces something. Don't miss that. Produces something. Faith in God leads us to want to live to please Him, as with Enoch. And so when you come to God by faith, the genuineness of your faith then is seen or verified by your life. James chapter 2 teaches that as well. Show me me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, the writer of Hebrews proposes. All the heroes of Hebrews 11 are here because God led them to do something. In Enoch's case, he lived to please God, And so must we all. Three times, and I tried to emphasize that, our text reminds us that he was translated. The text specifically marks out Enoch's life before his translation. The word before his translation is used there. And he was not found after his translation. Was not found. Uh, Let's allow these two things, the before in the text and the implied after his translation, and and we'll look and see what that is all about, how that relates to this whole matter of pleasing God. So, how did Enoch please God? For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The Old Testament account of Enoch is found in Genesis chapter 5, and I'll read it for you. Genesis 5. 21 to 24. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after that he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And so twice it says he walked with God. The Hebrew reads just that. He walked with God. But the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, translates Enoch pleased God. This is the outstanding feature of Enoch's life. He walked with God. He pleased God. To say that he walked with God, Genesis chapter 5, is the same as saying that he pleased God in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 5. George Megan was a little older than I. He was born in 1952, and he was a British adventurer, and he was best known for his walk. 
He walked from the southern tip of South America to the northernmost part of Alaska. And he did that in an unbroken way, a continual way. He kept walking. That's over 19,000 miles on foot. And he completed that in 2,426 days, which if you want to figure that out, it's about 6.6 years. From 1977 to 1983, and he documented his walk in the book called The Longest Walk, published in 88. Now that took 41 million steps, all right, for those of you counting. And this is interesting, he wore out 12 and a half pairs of Italian hiking boots. That's good, 12 and a half. I guess he kept one on and kept walking later, I don't know. But as I looked at that, I, I thought to myself, that's a long walk, but it was only 6.6 years. And the text says, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Now that is a long walk, all right? Now, we, we know that we're talking about a walk with God. We're not talking about geographically going from one place to the next. But we're talking about living for him. We're talking about letting ourselves know the will of God and following the will of God uh, faithfully. Uh, for that period of time, we live by faith. That's what it says about Enoch. So every walk with God has a beginning. And how did Enoch's walk begin? Well, we're only to surmise. Because the effects of sin were upon the entire human race, he must have been a man who trusted in God for forgiveness of sins and salvation of the soul. If you go back to the last verse of chapter 10, it ends this way. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We don't think you're of those that go back under perdition, but we believe that you Hebrews are those that are going to continue to follow to the saving uh, of the soul. You have believed in the Savior. If he walked with God, he first had to be reconciled to God. God won't agree to, to walk with you, or he wouldn't walk with him unless he had come to him by faith in the shed blood of the appointed sacrifice. He must have known something about propitiation in the Old Testament. Perhaps Abel tells us how we enter the life of faith, while Enoch tells us how to live the life of faith, or how we're to walk and to please God in our lives. And so it had a beginning, but it was also a continuing walk. He had a testimony that he pleased God. A testimony is something that's built over time. It must have continued. It must have been something that was showing so when a true walk with God begins, it does continue. For 300 years, he walked with God, having a testimony of God's presence and God's approval. His fellowship with God resulted in ministry then to God and for God. There are others in the Hall of Faith listed who also walked with God. Genesis 6-9 says, Noah walked with God. Abraham's failures as well as his faith are clearly recorded in the Old Testament. In Genesis 24, 40, however, God records Abraham's words to his servant, and he says this, the Lord before whom I walk will send his spirit, his angel. In Abraham, we see that walking with God does not require any perfection, but it does require dedication, devotion to God and his purposes. 
Now, the fact that it was stated that Enoch walked with God implies that others did not walk with God, at least not in the same way, not with the example of Enoch's devotion. Enoch lived a very, in a very corrupt world. It was so corrupt that God ultimately, though centuries later, drowned the entire civilization in the flood. Well, perhaps several things can be implied about this walk with God. It's implied that Enoch walked then in purity, in a holy walk. God is holy, and he only walks with those that walk in the way of purity. God separates himself from, himself from those that are walking to please themselves. He doesn't fellowship with those that go their own way. He doesn't walk with the impure or those that choose a path outside of his will. It also implies consistency. Enoch is not remembered for one outstanding act that I'm aware of, or even a series of acts, but he's singled out for a consistent life of faith. Some people find it difficult to walk for three months or even three days, let alone three centuries, and he was faithful in his walk. He had a consistent life of faith. It's implied also that he was engaged in ministry. Enoch's walk resulted in being a witness for God. And it's clear from the book of Jude that he was such, that his testimony in, included preaching about the coming judgment upon the world. Certainly his walk itself was a witness. And by the way, when you walk with the Lord, when you live for him by faith, it, that in itself is a testimony uh, to the glory of God. And certainly Enoch was doing that. But his walk enabled him then to have an outstanding ministry as he boldly proclaimed the truth of God. It seems he preached against the way of Cain. The book of Jude tells us that. A strict reading of the genealogy has Enoch being born when Adam was 622 years old. That means Enoch's life overlapped with Adam's for over 300 years. The point being that he would have been well acquainted with Adam and all of his descendants, and he would have been able to observe the spiritual and moral degeneration that was occurring in the world. Abel demonstrates for all generations the only way of access and worship to God is by faith. In contrast, Cain is typical of all those that follow the way of works. Jude speaks of religious apostates as those going in the way of Cain. And they say, Jude says, that Enoch prophesied against them. As a boy, uh, I was not raised in a Christian home, by the way. A lot of you know that. But as a boy, my mom uh, took me to various churches. We attended a very liberal Baptist church. We attended a very liberal, even more liberal if that's possible, Methodist church, and I even uh, attended a very liberal Presbyterian church uh, that promoted, those of you that are old like I am, uh, Angela Davis and the radicals of that day. They, they thought they were the heroes of the day. And that's the kind of churches that I uh, was associated with, and every one of them was led by an apostate minister. What do I mean by that? I, I mean that somebody that had denied the substitutionary atonement, somebody that denied the verbal inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, there was no foundation in that church. 
But boy, did the worship seem nice. Everybody smiled on Sunday. Uh, They sang uh, Christian hymns out of a Christian hymn book, and they told you how good you are and how good you can be and and how wonderful God is and, uh, and all of that. But no salvation, no talk of sin and the need of redemption. And that's exactly what Enoch appears to have preached against. Jude 14 and 15, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. And the whole context is about these apostates, the counterfeits of the faith. And Enoch condemned Cain's religion in the strongest language. You see, Cain approached God on his own terms, like many today that make their own mind the originator of truth, whatever The gray matter says is right, okay? I'll decide for myself. And this is exactly uh, what the apostates do. God is the originator of truth. He's the one who decides how he will be worshipped. And we need to come to him in humble obedience for the God whom he is. Jude tells us there was an open disregard for God's law as manifested in their ungodly deeds and their hard speeches spoken against God. In fact, here's what the text says. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all their ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds and all of, and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And I left out one ungodly. There's four of them there. They've ungodly committed. Get the idea that those that approach God on their own terms, by their own works, are termed ungodly. And that that kind of religion, though it looks maybe beautiful for a time in its worship on the outside, produces immorality and ungodliness of the worst sort. And that's what Jude talks about, led by apostates. So number two. Let's get to something a little more pleasant. How do we know that he pleased God? How do we know that? Notice it says that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. We know there was a beginning, there was a continuing, and there's also an ending to his walk. The Genesis text says that Enoch walked with God after Methuselah was born, And Enoch was 65 years old at that time. And so the age of the father upon the birth of his son is given. He follows that pattern in the genealogy. Yet, in Enoch's case, the predominant phrase, and he died, is absent. Hebrews 11.5 says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And saying that Enoch was translated by faith, the writer of Hebrews is looking forward, is pointing to the culmination of Enoch's faith. The finality of his faith is going to be, he will not die, he's going to be with God. His faith became sight. The beginning and the continuing aspects are essential ingredients to the ultimate translation. Someone says, well, I'm going to heaven when when I die. Well, did you begin the walk? Did you trust Christ? Have you put your faith in him? 
If you don't begin the walk, you're not going to end the walk well. If you don't begin the walk, you're going to continue a walk of some sort, but it's going to be like the way of Cain. You may have all the religious trappings, but if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ and be saved by God and empowered by the Spirit, uh, it's all going to be religiosity and not reality. And it's not going to end well. It ended well for Enoch. It's very interesting that Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers, reminding them of his previous instruction on how to walk and to please God, chapter 4 and verse 1. They are to keep God's commands, live sanctified lives, avoid sexual immorality, love their brothers and sisters in Christ, and walk honestly uh, before unbelievers. Then he gives a word from the Lord. The Lord is coming to translate you to heaven and to be with him. The end of the chapter is all about the rapture, resurrection to be with him, and rapture of living saints. Enoch is an illustration of salvation's great promise of heaven. Paul calls it the hope laid up for us in heaven, obtained by the gospel in Colossians 1.5. The believer will never die. For all believers, the walk of faith will one day end with entrance into glory. Now, we don't fully know why God waited 300 years to translate Enoch any more than we know why he didn't give 300 years more to this faithful man. But we know that God was pleased with his testimony and God was pleased with his preaching. Though Enoch preached just prior to the flood, centuries, Jude 14 is not a prophecy about Noah's flood. This is the prophecy of the return of Christ. He comes with ten thousands of his saints. But because Enoch's translation was before the judgment of the flood, it reminds us, or we see similarities to the rapture of believers prior to the tribulation. Just as Enoch was translated to heaven without seeing death, there's a time coming when all believers will be caught up to be with Christ in that event we call the rapture. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our text says Enoch was not found. There, was no, there were no earthly remains. The, the absence of his body confirmed his translation. Well, let's think for a moment about a Savior who died for us at Calvary's cross and was laid in a tomb, and his body is not there. It's empty. He is not here. He is risen indeed. There's no evidence that Jesus Christ is anywhere but at the right hand of the majesty on high, as he said. Well, one of these days, I don't know how it's all going to come down. I can only speculate. One of these days, someone's going to have to do some splaining. When we got a bunch of people that say, one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to rapture us. He's going to catch us up to be with him. And we're forever going to be with him. In fact, then we're going to come back with him. And the world says, ha, 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 no way, no way. Who's going to explain when everybody's gone? And when they're not found, what are they going to say? They're going to have to come up with something. The strong delusion that they believe a lie will come. No doubt that's going to happen. But somebody's going to have to explain it because there's no evidence that we're here in any fashion, and we are all gone. I don't know what the cemeteries are going to look like. 
I don't know if they're going to open up the graves or if Jesus is just going to catch them right up and leave the grave intact. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but I just know we're not going to be here. The question then is, remaining, how do we please God? Chapter six or 11, verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Ah, needs faith. Look at your text. Do you have that kind of faith? Those that serve God do so because they believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, like Enoch, we must begin our walk by believing God's revelation. There was a specific point in time that he exercised faith. Even though it's not given to us, we know that it had to happen. He said, well, what is faith anyway? Well, we already got to look at that, but faith is simply defined as believing God. Enoch and the others recorded in Hebrews 11 all acted upon truth revealed to them by God. Faith is acting in obedience to the word of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 10, but what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, verse 17. And so, they must believe. If you're going to come to God, you must believe that he is. Now, the, the fact of God's existence, and some translations have that, the fact of God's existence is not the main point in that phrase. The existence of God is recognized by many who have no biblical faith. I recently read that you can take just 10 keys on the piano and play 3,628,000 combinations of notes. I did not check that out. We got some mathematicians here that probably will, all right? I just took that at face because it's not important to the argument for me. Somebody asked, what is the probability that the piano would randomly play our school song? There is absolutely no possibility. You say, well, wait a minute, you, isn't it one in? No, there is no possibility. That piano will never play itself. And there is absolutely no possibility that this world came into existence, existence by random processes. It required somebody to play the notes. It required somebody to bring the world into existence. And it didn't happen all by itself. A person is a fool with a darkened, rebellious heart who doesn't see that this world couldn't be the result of random processes. So what is this? This is a belief in the true and only God, the one who is revealed with certain attributes, the one who knows and hears and sees and cares and leads and protects, and yes, he rewards. For us, it is the faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. God has revealed himself in Christ. And so walking with God begins with faith in his son by being born again to walk in newness of life. And then we must believe that he is a rewarder. These heroes not only believed in the existence of God, but they believed in the implications of that belief. Their faith led them to do something, to action, knowing that their obedience would be rewarded. 
Later we'll read about Moses and we'll hear a message, at least one. Moses renounced the pleasures of the world, seeing him who is invisible. He believed in that God that's a rewarder. Enoch walked with God knowing that he would never lack God's reward. Various religions have a God that's a punisher or who at best is indifferent and distant. But our God is not distant. He's not an impersonal God. He's a rewarder who personally cares for us. Noah walked with God, escaping the judgment of the flood is his reward. Because Abraham walked with God, he had an heir in his old age and became a blessing to the world as his reward. Because Enoch walked with God, he escaped death and was rewarded with immediate translation into the heavenly presence of God. He never died. But like Enoch, we must continue to walk with God all the days of our life on earth. Because Enoch believed in God who rewards, he lived for heavenly things. He was laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, he was guided in it by his faith and this reward by all in all of his life's choices. That's why he chose to diligently seek God. Them that diligently seek him. I could give you many verses on seeking God. But let's say this. The only way to walk with God the only way to please God is by faith. The only way to come to God is to believe by faith. The only way to live for God and please God is by believing his word and living by it. And those who do so are the true and diligent seekers of God. Those that seek to know what God requires, what God wants, what pleases God, and then to do it. For those that are living by faith. How did Enoch exercise his faith? Well, let's recap a little bit. We see initially there was a beginning. Continually there was a life pattern. And finally, there was a conclusion of reward. But I'd like to add one little thing here because it's implied strongly in my heart. Enoch's faith was also a great faith. Now listen to why I think that. It was, a, it was great because of its unusually strong opposition from the way of Cain, the culture. Because of its apparent rarity in the faithless times, at least growingly faithless times. And because of the boldness of his proclamation. You see, he preached in difficult times of spiritual and moral decline. The entire culture was spiraling down in its departure from God and his truth. And it must have taken great faith to oppose the march toward pleasure, immorality, and societal corruption. Kind of like our day, isn't it? The Lord Jesus rebuked his disciples on four different occasions with the words, O ye of little faith. And on two occasions, he commended individual Gentiles for their great faith. I believe Enoch's faith was great. So what is great faith? Well, the Syrophoenician woman asked for a few crumbs from the table. She begged like a little dog under the table looking for the crumbs. What was that all about? The Lord had rebuked her, saying, Well, should I give the bread that was intended for my people Israel? I'm summarizing. 
Uh, should I give that bread to the dogs? And she said, oh, even the little dogs get the crumbs under the table. Unusually perceptive. She said, a God that was that great and that generous and that merciful and that loving certainly wouldn't deny the little dogs the crumbs under the table. She had a high view of God, an unusually perceptive eye of faith. What about the centurion? You remember that? The Syrophoenician woman had her daughter healed, and the the centurion comes with a son that needs healing. And uh, everybody concludes the centurion is a good guy. He's worthy. He's helped our nation. And Jesus was going to him. And he sends a messenger out and says, No, no, you don't need to come here. I- I'm a man under authority, and I have those under me. And I just say, Go, and he goeth, and, and they do what I say. All you have to do is give a word from a distance. And here's what Jesus said about that. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And so when Jesus speaks of great faith, he is commending unusual faith. This is a faith that is, is, this is not a faith that is common. It's a faith that is remarkable. Summarized this way. Great faith is built upon unusually perceptive understanding of the character and promises of God. Great faith is exercised in the face of unusual obstacles. And great faith is comparative to the faith of people who failed to believe, though blessed with greater light and opportunity. Faith is believing God. Great faith is believing God in difficult times, under unusual pressure, or when faced with seemingly impossible circumstances. So what do we take away from this? You want to walk to please God? You want to walk by faith? Continue to regularly study the Word to build your faith. Continue to walk by faith in obedience to God. Seek to please Him in all things. And then I leave you with this challenge. Look for opportunities to demonstrate, increase, and strengthen your faith. Yeah, look. God will put you in circumstances where great faith is necessary, to be sure. But you may also put yourself in challenging circumstances for the sake of the gospel. God does not call us to adventure simply for the adrenaline rush. But it takes faith to venture out of our comfort and security to advance the cause of Christ and the gospel. I remember our founder, Dr. B. Myron Cedarholm, challenging Maranatha students to be volunteers for ministry. He would apply the words of Isaiah and call us to say to the Lord, Here am I, Lord, send me. He said, Volunteer, step out, ask God to use you. Missionaries Carrie and Judson and every believer who, despite weakness and opposition, step out by faith to serve the great purpose of God in Christ, become a source of God's pleasure. We please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But the exercise of faith, trust in the promises of God, and commitment to the purposes of God, causes God to be pleased 
it brings God's smile. May each of us determine to live to please God, knowing it's the right path, but also knowing it's the rewarding path. If you step out by faith, you'll never be let down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Enoch. May each of us, student, faculty, staff, visitors, me, may each of us be willing to live by faith, trusting you, Lord, trusting you in most difficult circumstances, stepping out, Lord, at all costs to ourselves, knowing that you'll be the faithful God, you'll be pleased, and only by faith will we please you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.